Listener Production. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. When was the last time that you were in pain? And by that, I don't just mean something minor, like knocking your elbow as you walked through a door or burning your tongue because you didn't give your coffee a second to cool down before you took a sip. I mean, real pain. Maybe you broke a bone or had a lengthy recovery from surgery or even hurt your back to the point where you weren't able to stand up properly. Now, imagine if that pain that you felt never went away. It stayed with you constantly. You would go to sleep every night, if you could sleep at all, in pain. You would wake up in the morning and have to go to work in pain. Even that downtime at the end of the day, when you just want to relax on the couch and chuck on your favourite show, you would sit there in pain. Imagine how this would then impact your quality of life. Sure, the obvious answer is to go to a doctor. They should be able to find the cause of the pain and get you back to living a normal life, right? But what if your doctor couldn't find a reason for your pain? Neither could the next doctor or the next one. With no obvious cause, people start to think that you might be making it up and maybe it's just all in your head. Your boss doesn't understand why you need to leave work early. Your friends don't understand why you aren't coming out. This pain can be disabling and stressful, making it almost impossible for you to work and even do the things that you enjoy. This is chronic pain. More than 3 million Australians are living with chronic pain. Factoring in societal costs and the loss of productivity, it has been estimated that the annual cost of pain in Australia will rise to $215.6 billion by 2050. But what if the answer isn't invasive, expensive surgeries or medications? What if chronic pain could be reduced in as little as 12 minutes through the use of a virtual reality headset? Now, I know what you're thinking. This isn't sci-fi or some prediction of how pain might be managed in the future. This is happening right now. With the cutting-edge team behind Transducer and Cognitive VR changing the lives of those living with chronic pain. Hi. I'm Zoe Callister-Haykul from Doctors on Call and welcome to Beyond the Medicine Cabinet. Chronic pain can manifest in a number of ways. You may be able to pinpoint a moment that started it or it may just be gradual. For Jessica, a chronic pain sufferer, there was a very clear starting point. My name's Jessica Perini and I developed chronic pain after a bout of thyroid cancer back in 2016. Jessica had first visited the doctors after noticing that something was just a little off. Yeah, it was just a really strange, uncomfortable feeling in my throat and there was nothing specific. It just felt wrong and I was having some issues with swallowing. They just went and found some nodules and um, they checked them out and they said, you know, generally lots of people have them, but no problems, you know, mostly they're they're nothing to worry about. But... um, They did a few biopsies and they said, look, we can't say for sure, but possibly it's cancer. So they took out half of the thyroid and then they said, oh, okay, 
It's definitely cancer. So at that stage, they decided to take out the second half of my thyroid. So basically, I don't have a thyroid. And at that point where they discovered it was cancer, they decided to do um, radiation treatment. So you have the treatment and then the pain starts. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's not actually a result of the thyroid treatment as far as I know. I, but I did get sick after the thyroid treatment. All we really know is that I caught a virus, which was really bad. And my partner came home with it from university and he was really, really sick. And I got really sick too, but he got better. Uh, When I got better, I ended up with chronic pain in my hands and my feet. Jessica's story of chronic pain had started from an illness. But with chronic pain, that isn't always the case. I started getting really clumsy at things. So I was sort of dragging my feet. Um, I couldn't walk properly because my feet were just really hurting a lot. And it was just, I don't know, everything was just became suddenly very difficult. Things like opening up a can of tomato juice or um, just, just trying to do basic things like vacuuming the floor or cleaning something all of a sudden became difficult. For a long time, we had to do a lot of investigations with lots and lots of specialists um, trying to figure out what on earth was going on and no one could figure out what was going on. I became really, really terrified because it felt like a degenerative process and my neurologist actually felt that it was quite possibly a multiple sclerosis um, but that it wasn't really showing up on the scans at that time. So that was really particularly terrifying. And I couldn't, I, you know, I had no idea what was going on. My doctor actually said to me, oh, I think you're getting carpal tunnel syndrome. And I'm like, how do you get that in both hands at the same time? That's weird. And my feet as well. How can I get carpal tunnel and tarsal tunnel? exactly the same time in all my limbs and and my doctors were just like oh I don't know I kept telling them no it's not that it's not that and I was I became terrified of pretty much everything so my friend would say to me come on you'll feel better if we go for a swim in the pool but I was terrified of of chlorine because my skin hurt Imagine it also must be scary not only not being able to trust your body but then also trying to convince others that there's something wrong and to keep looking further. The only thing that I could keep telling people was that this is real, it's happening, that I just feel all of these really weird, bizarre things are happening to me and all the blood tests kept coming back negative and, you know, they thought, oh, maybe your immune system is attacking you and no, it wasn't that and... So no, no, no. It was just a constant list of no's. And that, I mean, at some stages, I just thought these doctors must think I'm insane. Samira's journey hadn't started with a virus like Jessica's had. Instead, her chronic pain had built up gradually. So my name is Samira. I'm a technology journalist and I have had pain on and off for more than a decade, maybe close to two now. Uh, So my pain is on my neck. 
Um, and sometimes it, when it flares up, it goes down uh, my arms or my back, shoulders. Uh, yeah, it, it just sort of depends. I think it, it started getting more constant around 2011. Um, so I did, at the time, I worked at an op shop. So there was a lot of caring donations and hanging clothes and physical strength used. Um, and that's when sort of started feeling pain every day. Being to the doctors, started taking painkillers and trying to sort of just make sure that I could keep working. Um, but yeah, after that, when I returned to working on a desk job, uh, the pain, I think it, it, it sort of, I don't know if increased or if because I'm sitting down for longer, you sort of feel more because you're, you're not moving around as much. Um, yeah, so mm. that is when it started getting really bad. So when, when I get a flare up, sometimes I can't even, I have to take a day off or a half day. Of course. So what did the doctors say that triggered it? I have osteoarthritis, uh, which is a degenerative disease that everyone's going to get when they're in their 60s or their 70s. Your bones start getting weaker and weaker, um, mm. which cause what I have now, which are four bulge discs on my neck. Mm. So that could have been the beginning of it, but no one really knows. I was going to say, so were you in your 20s when you got given this diagnosis of osteoarthritis? Because you said it's something only elderly people get. Yeah, it was in my late 20s, yeah. yes. And when they told me that, I was like, wow, lucky. <laughs> and it got to a point where I'm like, I'm only in my late 20s. Why am I in pain all the time? Like, it is not a sharp pain unless I'm, I'm in a really bad day. It's just a constant, constantly hurts, especially on my right side, the mm. right side of my neck. It is all the time. Samira, have you ever had a break from experiencing chronic pain? Uh, I can say that in the past, I don't know, decade, I cannot remember a day that I was not in pain. Um, so maybe if I take a lot of painkillers, um, you know, which I try not to, then I'll have maybe like 30 minutes, an hour, which I think will be the closest that I ever, that I remember being without pain. But naturally, uh, without any external help, I, I can't remember when was the last time that I was not in pain. You know, it's a thing that not many people understand. So it's, yeah, it's, it's challenging too for you to accept that you were one of many that suffered from pain every day. Just imagine that for a moment. Pain. Every day, no relief. Samira's life is impacted by her pain constantly. It really affects my mood. Like if, mm. I, if I'm if i out and I often, because I refuse to take painkillers, it gets like I'm out and I'm not carrying any. Mm. And the pain just gets worse because you wake up with a little bit of pain, but mm. that's every day. So you don't know if it's going to get worse or not sometimes. Mm. So I learned to carry painkillers with me because I would just be in a terrible, terrible mood and won't be the good company to anyone. Uh, so that's not the way that it it affects me. Or just accept that I should just stay home and not do things sometimes because it's just, it will happen. 
For Jessica, the pain and worry also impacted how she was able to live her life. The constant stress was a really big deal. And I just pretty much stopped doing things. Gardening, and I was used to do a lot of heavy lifting with wheelbarrows and things like that, ship soil around, things like that. But when I got sick, I, I just stopped doing all of that kind of thing because I just had no sense of A, what was causing the pain, and B, whether the pain signals were correct. So when it came down to it, I thought, am I damaging myself? And no one can tell me the answers. So I was losing weight. I just wasn't doing any exercise, and it was just a really vicious cycle. But where my life turned around was uh, discovering the pain clinic at Randwick, through Randwick Hospital, Prince of Wales. The pain therapy at um, the pain clinic at Randwick Hospital is uh, a mixture of understanding the cognitions of, of pain science and understanding what the thought process is that continues the, the chronic pain cycle. Um, it also gives you tools to deal with it. And that was integral to my success. Samira tried multiple treatments for her chronic neck pain. Nothing, no doctor actually gave me a proper treatment. Uh, so I was uh, instructed to try swimming three times a week. Mm. That was one of the things that I was told to try. And then I was told about uh, this one using the VR, which I thought, like, okay, well, that's different. <laughs> it can't make worse. The VR treatment that Samira is talking about is the work of neurotechnology, cognitive VR and transducer. Hi, my name is Danny Sotanto. I'm the co-founder of Neurotechnology and I'm the creative lead and half tech lead in Neurotechnology. Uh, hi, I'm Alfred Lacks. I'm a clinical psychologist by trade. I'm a co-founder of Neurotechnology and also designer with Danny of the Transducer. So the Transducer is a virtual reality device. It's a patent invention. And what it is, it's an embodiment machine. So what that means is a person who puts on the VR glasses steps into obviously a completely different universe and has an embodied experience. They look down, they see their body, they see their body move, they feel their real body move because it's tracking their real body in real time. And that means they blend in their mind, their real body and their VR body. And then we're able to manipulate the VR body using cognitive VR and then allow them to generate neuroplastic change or working with pain specifically. What is neuroplastic change, Wilfred? Well, neuroplasticity is the idea that our brain is a continually growing and changing organism and it changes as we have our different experiences. When, when for example, a person um, experiences pain or more, use a more benign example, a person learns the piano, then if you learn and practice the piano, the parts of your brain which play the piano develop and get bigger and stronger. And similarly, if a person experiences pain over a long period of time, chronic or persistent pain, there will be changes in their brain and their body associated with that chronic pain, which actually becomes the problem itself. Transducer and cognitive VR, you know, it's a, it's a combination of this kind of technology that we are using, which is the virtual reality technology, and also a, a full body tracking. You know, most uh, virtual reality experience 
they're only mostly you know tracking your head movement and using the controllers for example to track um, your arms movement uh, however for what we have created it's tracking your whole body as well using a depth sensing camera so that you know whatever that you do in the real world here it will be mimicked in in the virtual reality so then we can basically transform your body into a, a different layer you know showing you know the skins showing the um, muscles or, or skeletons and things like that which it's hard to do in real life <laughs> well it's impossible so what was the inspiration to create something like this well for me if I want to go where it started in Disneyland actually <laughs> I'm watching um, connect technology and watching people dancing along with the um, show in the connect technology and seeing them lose themselves and then thinking ah oh, if we can make people lose themselves by using this technology get where you are when you stop and where the technology begins that allows us to engage with it in a different way that was many years ago and so I came back and bought a connect the idea grew and grew in my head then I connected with because the, the psychological theory can only take me so far I need the tech part to make it real and so that's where the, the partnership was born yeah and, and for me I'm always intrigued with that neuroplasticity you know how to kind of train your brain to kind of like really learn and change your perspective on different things, you know. And then um, I get connected to Wilfred and then listening to um, his psychotherapy theory, I thought, hey, that 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 really makes sense. And I think there's a, a, a lot to it that we can actually make it a reality. Let's jump into how or what disorders this technology actually targets. Currently, we're looking at chronic or persistent pain which is a, um, a particularly neuroplastic phenomenon. And we chose it because it's, it's a massive worldwide problem. Um, it, it, there's a pandemic, some people say, actually of chronic pain, and it has um, a huge interpersonal mm. cost. I mean, in Australia, costs, um, I think, $13 billion to New South Wales, costs $100 billion in the, in the UK in terms of treatment costs and loss of work costs. And it's a problem which currently doesn't have a solution at all. We only have pain relievers and things. We don't have a pain solution. But it also could be used for stroke rehabilitation, physical rehabilitation, and a number of other conditions which cross over between, like fibromyalgia, where they cross over between there being a physical condition and there being something pain-related. So, so pain in general and a lot of, of brain-related movement disorders, I suppose we could call it. So you mentioned fibromyalgia. What is fibromyalgia, just for people who don't know? So <laughs> that's a controversial question because yeah. some people think that fibromyalgia is it's a physiological fake. disease. Mm. Other people think fibromyalgia, is. some people claim, simply means unexplained pain that medicine can't really diagnose equals fibromyalgia. Other people think that there's gene markers or you know, inflammation markers that can be found. But basically your fibromyalgia patient suffers from a lot of pain. Sometimes that spreads around the body and um, that can be quite crippling and debilitating. And again, um, medicine doesn't really have a good definition and absolutely doesn't have a good solution for it, although we think that we do. So 9 out of 10 cases of chronic pain have no physical cause. I guess that's a shocking statistic. Um, And if we talk about persistent or chronic pain, we're saying this is pain 
where the physical cause of it has been is, is fixed. So a person broke their arm, their arm is now fixed, and they suffer with ongoing pain therefrom, thereafter. Um, and that's because it's a neuroplastically learned process, mm. that your body has learned the pain, the body has learned to respond to certain things that if mm. it was pain, but it's in the absence of real pain. If there is a perspective or an attitude in the industry that pain is can be psychosomatic, would, that, would I be correct in sort of saying that? Psychosomatic is not a good way. So no? Pain sufferers are told your pain is in your head, as in right. psychosomatic. And A, they don't like it, and B, they shouldn't like it. Because if, if we're talking about neuroplasticity, we're, not, we're saying it's not, it's not that you're thinking that there's pain and there isn't. Or there isn't, that we're saying that the pain that has happened to you has happened virtue of a neuroplastic process. So pain is described in some of the books as neuroplasticity gone bad. So we're saying because you experienced pain and you experienced pain for a certain amount of time and it was intense, your nerves became more sensitized to pain. The part of your brain that feels pain becomes more sensitized to the pain and your whole pain response has become heightened. So now we simply touch you on your arm and your body thinks your arm is being broken again. So then you have this massive pain response. And that's the neuroplastic learning of the body. It's not in her head. It's that her body's responding um, in, in an overreactive way to, mm. a, to a, what we would call it, to an innocent stimulus. And then but when that happens, as people with bad backs know, your back is then in spasm for weeks mm. and you suffer enormous pain. Mm. Um, but it's not, no one's, it's nothing's psychosomatic because it's not, it's not in your head. Mm. It's in your brain and it's in your body and it's in your nervous system that has learnt a malignant response. And that's the response that we retrain with the transducer mm. in cognitive VR. This kind of technology is quite new and, and you know, people are starting to pay attention to it. The technology and treatment had caught the attention of both Samira and Jessica. My psychologist, we had talked about my chronic pain issues and he said, well, I know someone who's doing some trials and uh, would you like to try it? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. It'd be great. So I was doing okay on my journey, but I thought, well, anything I can do to reduce the pain even more would be fantastic. And I'm really curious about the VR technology. So... I'll give it a whirl. Yeah, I thought it sounded really groundbreaking and interesting. And I thought, yeah, no, at that stage, I wasn't so frightened of things anymore. And I thought, no, this is really interesting. Jessica was intrigued by the idea behind the technology. But what does a treatment session actually look like? We use virtual reality technology. So basically, we what we do is we immerse the user into this um you know, virtual reality world where they see their own body as they, you know, done this? Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's really quite strange. Um, you go into the room and you talk to the person who runs the program and you go through a series of tests where you grade your pain levels. So we, it gives you a baseline from which you're starting from. And then you can, you redo the tests after you've done it to see where your pain levels are at when, once you've done it. So I would um, say, describe my pain levels that day. Where was it hurting and how much it was hurting before? 
So then we can measure after to see if there was any improvement. We, uh, you basically go in and you put the goggles on and uh, you have a period of um, where you're actually getting used to wearing the goggles and seeing yourself. So what you do is you see a mirror image of yourself and you you move your arms and your legs and the mirror image of yourself moves as well. So you come to understanding that that mirror image is you. So I put on the VR goggles and then first there is not, it's just like a an empty background, mm. maybe some squares or something. And then it takes you to like a mountain scenery with trees and flowers and they're moving. It's like the wind is blowing and this is like a, a pleasant, peaceful uh, image. So within that world, we can change, you know, let's say, for example, um, if, if they're suffering from, you know, as a burn victim or things like that, we don't know. And they always feel heat. So for example, the low hanging fruit would be, okay, or what if we put you into a cold environment? You know, like a snow mountain in uh, Canada or, you know, wherever else, right? So the first reaction of the brain when they see that, you know, immediately triggers, oh, I'm in a cold area, I'm going to be cold, right? And and then, then it's starting to kind of like calm them down, right? The calm to start to think, okay, I'm focusing now on the environment a little bit more. And then, then Wilfred will then do the therapy and talk them through, you know, their pain and how to manage it and so on. So that when we tell them to lift their legs, for example, the, the moment they do that, they're starting believing that it is their actual body. That's kind of strange uh, when you're in that environment to see yourself opposite, um, moving and reacting as you do with the with the goggles on. But you're you're seeing a mirror of your body, so you're looking at. Um, the reflection, your reflection in a way. So that then whatever that Wilfred will be uh, explaining to them, they will get it straight away and feel intuitively that it is their body. And then we can immediately say, oh, you know, that's your skin. And then we're trying to match the skin. For example, if you are a, um, you know, African coming in, then we actually try to match the brown color of your skin as much as possible to that, for example. Or if you're a, a Caucasian and then, you, you know, we're trying to match the skin Tone as well, so that when you see it, you're kind of like a little bit believing that, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. So we're trying to do that as matching as possible and the body types. You know, if you're muscular or you're a little bit, you know, overweight and this like that, we can change those. The first step to the process is the person will come in and they build their avatar. So Danny was talking about that in terms of skin color. We can make fat people or thin people and can choose a man or a woman, etc. And then we have this, of course, we have the skin, the muscle, the bones, the, the, the nerves underneath. And then as a part of that process, they also build their own pain. So we've got a whole um, toolbox of different kinds of pain, gnawing pain, biting pain, sharp pain, cold pain, all of which are represented differently. And as part of the neuroplastic process is the idea that if you have a sore finger, you tend to locate that pain in your finger. But if you think about it, you know it's not in your finger. The pain is actually in your finger. The nerve is running all the way up your arm. It's going into your spinal cord, it's going up into your brain, then you're having that experience in your brain. So the person will build their, they'll choose, I have a pain in my finger, and then they'll choose a, the pain type, we'll put it there. And then we'll have a, the track, will track along the actual nerve pathway that it would. And so then they'll 
they'll see the pain in their body traveling up their arm to their brain, and there'll also be pulses so that they'll see it move. And then um, we can make the pain bigger, smaller, quicker, faster, whatever. We also have what we call a paint mode, which means if you have pain in a whole section of your body, we can color that in. We can color that in different colors. They're technically identifying with their body with a visualization of their pain that they can see. And then we can, we can remove that pain from their VR environment. And so um, immersion in virtual reality has an analgesic effect. So at this point, they shouldn't be feeling any pain anyway because that's part of the magic of VR. That if we're just putting them in a, in a way that if you're watching a movie or you're listening to music and you get immersed in it, you forget yourself. That's the biggest power of VR, that people inside of it immerse and then their pain disappears. It has an analgesic effect. So in reality, their pain will have been disappeared by the immersion and then we're using cognitive VR to train it away. Jessica and Samira both reported a decrease in their pain after using the transducer. Samira remembers reporting her pain level on the pain scale both before and after the session. You're watching your pain go away. Yeah, and if on that particular day I was feeling pain down my arms, so then he would move that sign down my arms, for example. Or if my head was hurting, then he would move up to my head. Mm. So it would be like sort of like a flow movement of that pain going up and then in a really like large size at first and then slowly going down and down smaller until it disappeared. Mm. Every time my pain did go down, mm. like I did feel less pain straight after. It's, it's really interesting to see it and then it's interesting when you take it off, the, um, take the goggles off to see how all of a sudden you don't have pain where you had it before. So just that your brain recognises that, oh, there was a signal going on there and that signal is changes with my perceptions and it can go on and off depending on how I perceive it and that perception is, is important. So we've done a handful of studies yeah. and universally everybody who goes into virtual reality or our virtual reality environment we, give, we do a pain scale before, then we do the, mm. the, the cognitive VR and the immersion with them, and we do a pain scale after. And every single one of them has got pain reduced. This is in a space of 12 minutes in approximately. People will go from having some pain to having zero pain. Um, and then in some of them, the immersion and the cognitive VR has resulted in reduced pain out of the VR environment and over time. And in one person, there was a complete cessation of pain. Um, which was, as they said, the first time they had been pain-free at all for about 10 or 12 years that they could remember. I don't think I was ever in a really, like, a 10. Mm -hmm. But I remember writing down a 7 or a 6 and then going down maybe possibly to 3 or 4. Jessica also reported a decrease on the pain scale. We got really good numbers from it and I definitely had sometimes I would come out usually about two points lower than my pain levels going in so for example if I would go in at four out of ten on a pain level I would come out with two out of ten. It's designed to be a one-off treatment the problem with pain is that people can have pain flare-ups or pain triggers that 
could happen and most probably should happen. And so people might need boosters. We do have um, a take-home, um, it's, it's a Pavlovian version, I mean, we could call it, of the treatment that people could use as boosters by themselves at home. Jessica believes that overall the treatment did help and she would absolutely recommend it to anybody who hasn't found something that works for managing their chronic pain. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'd, I'd say go in with an open mind mm. and go in with a feeling of excitement and knowing that you can have some feeling of control over your pain. Samira is also an advocate for the treatment. I mean, if you... Because it's not, it's not invasive, it's not... Um, it's technology and it's just... It's an external thing... It's like playing a game. Mm-hmm. If you're into it, then, you know, um, it, it's a software. Like, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no harm in it and it could help. Uh, like I said, it did, it did make me feel better after the session. So, yeah, definitely people should try mm. and I hope it works for them. Wilfred and Danny too have some very clear hopes for what the technology may achieve. So the hope for the technology would be that A... We have a quite outlandish claim that we can cure pain, which would mean that we're the mm. first proper cure for pain as opposed to management or other kind of strategy. And B, that a whole lot of people, millions of people who are taking opioids would not be taking opioids. Hundreds of thousands of people who would be having, who are having surgeries wouldn't be having surgeries. And that there'd be a whole generation of people who weren't being crippled or suffering from chronic pain and weren't dependent on drugs or surgery or physio. What about any recommendations for young health professionals or people interested in tech into getting into this industry? There's a lot of new technology coming out. You know, the future generations are all into this kind of um, tech, right? Like, you know, um, with Facebook releasing kind of metaverse or coining that jargon and everybody is jumping on that jargon, mm. right? So the, the, the pain problems or any problems out there, the medical problems will exist, right? And then the cool thing about, you know, combining technology with what we learn in, you know, kind of medical tech is that, you know, let's, let's have a look at new type of technology that can help people uh, better than what previously have been done or, you know, not working. So, you know, just continue, I guess, for people who are really w- wanting to get into this kind of technology, have a look at it out there and trying to solve, you know, this kind of problems, I guess, with creatively with technology. Virtual reality is big and it's coming. Already in Australia, there are virtual reality products by other people doing other things. And so a lot of what people are doing with virtual reality is they're just things that what psychologists or physios would normally do. But instead of putting a spider in the room or taking you into an airplane and having you take off to deal with your flying, they put you in a virtual environment full of spiders. You do a virtual landing and take off on an airplane. So that's just, for me, that's just doing what we normally do but using the therapy, using the, the technology as an enhancement. There are also other things, which is, um, there are completely novel applications to virtual reality in medicine. And what we are doing is a completely novel um, application. And so my advice to young people would be either get on board with what's already happening or look at these things and think, gee, how can we re-engineer what we know already to do something different? Or what haven't we been doing but we know that we could do if only I had an environment that I could manipulate according to my wishes because we do have that environment mm. and we have technicians who can make it happen. So, Danny, what's the next step for you guys? 
So we're currently opening up a uh, physical clinic to you know do the service for transducer and cognitive VR or you know chronic pain management. It's called Innovate Pain Clinic. Um, we are currently yes you know prepping all of the the collaterals, the, the marketing, the the websites, and all so on. So, but you can always find it from our website neurotechnology.com.au, neurotechnology.com.au, and we will have more details there. Well, I just have one last question for you, Wilfred, actually, and it's a very serious question, so I need you to answer it very seriously. <laughs> Do you still play with your Xbox Connect? Um, the Xbox Connect had a very short life. <laughs> um, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a funny combination because I'm a complete technophobe as, um, and I hate a lot of technology. Hopefully, Wilfred is slowly coming round to liking technology a little more, in the same way that many of his patients likely are. The work that he and Danny are undertaking at Neurotechnology continues to break new ground in how pain is managed and treated and may just provide another option to pain sufferers outside of invasive surgery or painkillers. Beyond the Medicine Cabinet is a listener production brought to you in partnership with Kuyong Group. Hosted by me, Zoe Callister-Hakewell. Audio by Kelly Falston and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.